Addition is a choice. Don't blame others. All our families and friends, they wanted us to be good, to live a life, a decent life. So when we choose to be an addict, it's very unfair to them because our family suffers when we get caught. When we are in the addiction, our family are the one who suffers, not just us. So it's a choice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 114 of the So This Is My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And firstly, hello to the many, many thousands of people who have just joined into this steamy journey. I realized that one post of mine on LinkedIn recently went viral. Almost a million of you saw it. My goodness, I can't even imagine what that number is like in my head. But if you are here for the first time, welcome. I'm very pleased to have you. I'm still carrying out the final weeks of being a full-time lawyer. And I'm very excited to see where it's going to go after that. So if you'd like to find out what other episodes have been on Simi, just go all the way back to episode one. You've got 113 episodes to go through, which I think will occupy you for a while. And the format's not going to change. Every single Sunday, we'll be meeting someone really interesting, really inspiring, or at least with some kind of interesting takeaway that I think we can all learn to apply to our own lives. And today's guest is truly unique because he is Alvin Chong. And he's not a US congressman, an Olympian, or even a Forbes billionaire. In fact, Alvin couldn't be further from that because he had an opium addict for a father. Because of such exposure, Alvin became an opium addict at a very young age. And you can kind of imagine where the story goes. He went from sniffing glue to joining the secret society at the age of nine. And by 18, he was hooked on heroin and couldn't even hold on to a job. While he was in Thailand, he had a wake-up call. But it took multiple stints at different halfway homes to break out of that terrible cycle. Alvin's story is one of redemption. Faith in how faith rescued him and how he continues to give back to his community. His former brothers still come to him for help and even invite him to their weddings to get-togethers. And he also helps other drug addicts and former brothers break out of their own cycle while giving pastoral care in prison and hosting walking tours in Singapore via triad trails. A unique walking tour where you can have every tour told through the eyes of an ex-convict. But honestly, you're far better hearing Elvin's story from Elvin himself. So, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. My name is Elvin. I was brought up in a dysfunctional family. What does that mean? That means the family is not whole. A lot of problems. My dad was an open addict and he gambled. He is an alcoholic too. As you know, addicts sometimes we have withdrawal symptoms. And then especially when we are facing withdrawal symptoms and then they lost in a gambling table. There's a lot of violence at home. I remember when I was seven, my mom finally she decided, okay, enough is enough. So she left the family. She just left alone and, and me, myself, and her elder brother was left with my father. So we have a hard time at home because, as you know, drug addiction is a very high maintenance. You need a lot of money to maintain the addiction, that the habit. So I remember when I was nine years old, I have to start to support myself. So this is my childhood and this is what I call dysfunction family. It's not functioning. 
I imagine without your mom and then your dad also gambling, doing OPM as well, you probably had to find other friends. How did you find them? Who were they? Okay. As you know, as the kids long for love, family love and then caring parents, but did not find love at home. So in order to find love, I have to outsource. That's what I, I go to the neighborhood and search for my identity in the neighborhood, search for my belonging. This is a place I went to find love. And who did you find? I don't like to study much. That's why I start mixing with boys in the neighborhood who don't study too, who left school or that. And then we start to do all sorts of things in a very young age. I started popping pills, sniffing grooves, taking weeds, marijuana, drinking, smoking at the age of nine. Wasn't this also the time you joined the gang as well? How did that happen? Because when I was mixing with these boys, because of my age and my background, I always got bullied. That's when I started to look for support. And eventually, at the age of 12, around, I think 15, then someone looked out for me. He said, I want to take you in as my little brother. You join me. So that was the time when I actually started to join and then I do also advices. And was there an initiation process? For my case, there isn't any. It's just a verbal one. But there are certain secret society we call SS. They have to go through initiation ceremony. Normally, it won't happen in Singapore. It will happen in other countries. If you are from Singapore, then one of the day, your leader will call you, Hey, Lin, take your passport, follow me. Going where? Don't ask. So you will just have to hop in the car and they will drive you all the way through the custom. And once you pass through the custom, you'll be by full and then someone else will pick you up. So all the way, you will be blindfold and then you go to somewhere which you don't even know where you're going. And then when the car stops and you come out from the car and you will realize, actually, you are not the only one. It's like a blind man leading a blind man. Okay. So you will have to tap on the soldier one by one and then you walk. It will signal you, okay, you just walk and then the blindfold is off and then you will realize that, yeah, actually you are in a plantation. That's where they held the ceremony. In my time, my era, it was a serious case in Singapore. Once you're caught, they will send you to prison without trial. Okay. So during the ceremony, you will be appointed position depend on what you are capable of. So some will be fighter, some will be advisor or whatever, so on. So you see, secret society is like a corporate, it's like a management. But isn't it strange that you didn't have an initiation? So did you also get a particular role? So there are two different types of secret society who are running in Singapore. There is one who is under the translate that is like home gate, home Homeland, which is still very active in certain countries, just like Hong Kong, Myanmar, Taiwan, Cambodia, Thailand, and all these countries, even Amsterdam, they are still very active there. You can go and Google, you can see they celebrate like nobody's business, okay? Especially in Taiwan. In Taiwan, they celebrate. You can see the, the heads, all those representatives of different parts of the, the province are when they meet. They will exchange all those gestures or hand signals. They are very open, especially in Taiwan. They're not afraid of being caught? I don't think so. 
Because to be very honest, a lot of all those ruling parties are involved, especially all those temples. They are involved in all these quiet things because all these things bring in a lot of revenue and the tax. The money is untraceable. Can you imagine how you're going to trace the donation of a temple? So you see, a lot of people, they are still trying to run these places because the money profit is too big and is untraceable. Only the community knows how much is there. What about for you? What was your experience like being in the secret society or SS? My experience, we have to find ways to make money and have to bring in revenues for our leaders. Weren't you part of an illegal passport syndicate? Mm, I have friends doing that, but I'm not involved in that. Lah. That's why I've mentioned we have different types of vices. So for me, mostly I'm in drugs and gambling, loan sharks, money, all that. What is that? Because normally we will hear from the other side of police busting people who are doing these things. What is it like to have been one of those people who were running these illegal activities? Okay, so a lot of people always say once you are in this trade or you are running these vices, you have to stand by yourself. We are one feet outside and then the other feet in the prison. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, okay have with to, it? you have to be prepared because your life is so glamorous and then you have to prepare for the worst to happen unless you are in the top management. Uh, that's why I mentioned beforehand that SS is like management. You see, from top to bottom, you've got the second head, which is our chairman. At the end, you've got directors, which is those uh, headmen or fighters or those people who go and negotiate business or even those who try and meditate problems, just like lawyers or this. These are the top management. So for the lower one will be those who always doing the dirty jobs. Uh. What was it like? Did you rise through the ranks? What did you have to do? Normally, you rise. You have to be very smart in bringing revenues to your group. So this is the only way you can rise. Or you are a, a very fabulous fighter. Were you into fights and as well? We, actually, we fight. Lah, and then we fight. And then we also do fights to bring money. But I'm not to the extent that it's very popular and get my name registered in the police station and get caught. So I'm not to that, that extent. And you weren't afraid of fighting then? Why would fights happen? We always fight for no reason. Maybe just because of ego. Maybe just because of pride. And then maybe just because of no reason we just fight. Especially in Singapore, you will just fight because of staring cases. Why you look at me? Why you're not happy? Ah? And then we would start a fight. This is Singapore. <laughs> Why would you do that? Was it because you were bored or was it because your bros expected you to create problems all the time? I believe during my younger days, or many of us are looking for our own identity. Actually, we don't know what we are doing. We don't understand what we are doing. We thought that this is fun. We thought that this might make ourselves stand out or let people afraid of us, scared of us. And then we just find comfort in doing so. I think at the end of the day, I must say that it's like we are actually trying to protect ourselves. That's why we launched the attack in order to be attacked. And once we do that, people will try not to get involved with us. So it's very sad that actually we are just a group that we are trying to protect ourselves. But we choose 
the wrong path and uh, choose the wrong way. Did you ever think of 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where will I be? What does that look like? I wasted many years. I started to think when I was 40, do I want to live my life like this? Do I want to go on like this again? So I started to make a change when I was 40. And it took me a lot of years and a lot of effort to let me become what I am today. So my advice to those who are still out there, don't waste too much of your time because this is not the path we want really. And I don't think you will have a peaceful life for doing that kind of living. So I started to make a change when I was 40. I was blessed that uh, I have people. I decided to join support groups and I, I decided to open up myself. And then I was mentored by pastors and then to the day, what I am today, people decided to retreat. And then uh, I have a chance to be who I am now. That's why I, I'm giving back and I, I'm training people now. But what about before you were 40, just so that people can better understand the kind of life that you live because normally we hear from a very judgmental point of view all these people why did they do it it doesn't make any sense but you actually lived it you understand what that life was like I understand that you actually went to Thailand as well when you were 18 was that an important milestone in your life what was that like (laughs) when I was 18 I went to Thailand for one year it was during my national service when I was serving NS, serving my army, and I was transferred there for one year. That one year there has given me a, a lot of opportunities. I learned to be independent and I'm open to a lot of things, especially drugs in Thailand, because we can actually get hold of drugs very easily in Thailand if you speak Thai. So I can just go to any of the sensei shops. Since I shop with like, all those Chinese medical hall, you can just walk in and you speak Thai to them. You can buy one box of sleeping pills. Easy. So that's my life. I used to pop pills during my stay there. And I even looked for heroin when I was there. So that's my stay. That's how I, I get myself involved in all these drugs activity all these years. Because from my young age, I was exposed to drugs because of my father. And I thought it's normal and I started to take drugs. Why was it that after Thailand, you decided to leave the gang? What was it that gave you that push? Okay, I decided to leave the gang because my leader is a very fierce man. He don't joke and can just start a fight with his sibling for very little things. During that time, I told myself, I don't think I'm comfortable with this type of people because this type of people got no feeling. All they are after is about money. That's why I decided to okay, call it and after my NS, I'm not going to join you anymore. When I spoke to Noto, whom you also know, and I asked yeah. him, oh, what was it like to leave the gang? And he said, if it was back then, you would have lost a limb. He was beaten black and blue. What was your experience like leaving the gang? For me, actually, I leave the gang in, in a very peaceful way. You see, for some reason that some people cannot leave the gang, Maybe because of some horror movies and then uh, they saw too much and then they thought it was real. But there are certain reasons for certain people why they cannot leave the gang. It's because these people are bringing a very huge revenue for the gang. They bring a lot of money back. Maybe they are in some illegal business that they are the people who go and uh, negotiate the sales or the business. 
So actually, these are the people who bring back a lot of money for the secret society or the triad or the company they call. So when you want to leave, of course, your boss, the chairman will think, if you leave the gang and you join another gang, then my money will lost, right? You are helping someone to make the money because of your contact. Then I have lost a big amount of revenue, which you bring in every year. That's why they will not let you go. They will rather you vanish. So these are the only people that it's hard to leave the gang. For others, when you don't actually contribute much, they don't care. To be really honest, why they care? If I go and beat you up, if you report police, I might even end up in prison. So why do I bother? You never bring in money for me. You are not anything to me. So you want to go, just go. So for my case, when I decided to leave him and then I be on my own, there was a time I was on drugs. I was on drugs for many, many years. After NS until 40, I was about 20 years, I was on drugs. I was doing drugs. I was selling drugs, everything. So they don't even bother because when they get close to me, it's very dangerous for them instead. <laughs> because Why? you know, Sing- Singapore drug addicts, it's very obvious. Uh, people look at you, they will come and spot check you. So who will want to be near to you? Right? Because of our body size, because of our appearance, you know, junkies don't eat or very slim <laughs> and looks like a zombie. Right? Who will want to get near to you? So they, maybe this is the reason why they also don't care about me. So after my life started to turn around, I started to volunteer in prison. I even go back to visit my dragon head, not my leader. What does that mean? One of the headmen, which is the very, very senior. And sometimes I go and visit him. We have coffee together. We will eat breakfast together, lunch together. Just some years when they observe what I'm doing because I was volunteering in prison and helping people to quit drugs. And then he tell everyone, okay, you all don't disturb Elvin anymore. He's doing very good now. So he's got any problem, he comes back and look for you. You're having to solve the problem. So you see, things change. Actually, not all bad guys are bad. Sometimes when they know that you are doing good, you are helping others for this for you. So I have different approach now. When people look for me, they don't talk about what was well, the past. And then they just, who oh, I expect to drugs again, I can help him to quit or not. You see, the conversation totally different. So they just trust you completely? Yeah. I can say that it's also God's grace. Without God, I will be making so fast. I will be doing what I'm doing now. Was it surprising for you that you got such support? Because you're actually not one of the brothers anymore. It's quite a big surprise. Not just my own previous gang, other gangs also, which I have known for a long time. So when they talk to me, it's also different now. They know that I'm helping people. The respect is different now. How do you form those sort of relationships? It sounds like you just are very good at being friends with everyone, which I think is a gift and not something that most people can do. Because I'm trying my best to offer help to whoever needs help. I will direct him to other resources that can help them. Maybe this is why they are very good to me. And then they're actually, they are also being where I'm doing now. And then they started to like, this fellow can trust. <laughs> When we first started speaking, you talked about your family, how it wasn't close, and you were looking for friendship, love. 
you obviously oh. found it with your brothers, but then you left your brothers. So were you scared to just at least lose that brotherhood and be a little uh, Actually, when I started to distance myself from all these people, I don't feel it, but I feel that uh, it's a must. Because our life cannot change. It's because that uh, all this while we wanted to live in our comfort zone. We don't want to try something new. We don't want to give up something which is very comfortable, which is uh, what we are always doing. And then the language we always speak, the lingo we always have with our friends. That's why our life we cannot break that cycle. We weren't the one to try something new. But when we started to walk out from that cycle and try something new, we realized that it's very important for us in order for us to get back our life again. But before you walked out, you actually end up going around 10 years time. You end up going to prison four times in and out. What was it like in prison for those who don't know? Actually, for prison, I have a discussion with the prison authorities too. We discuss about prison and can prison change a person? My answer was never. Incarceration can never change a person because when we were caught, we were put into incarceration. Actually, we are living with a lot of the same case or even other cases in the prison. To change, I think it's a fantasy because we only let our network become bigger because we are inside the prison with all the convicts. And if you are a drug addict, worse, because you will be put in a cell where all the drug addicts are kept. This is the place we call DRC, which is a drug rehabilitation center. So just imagine that you are being kept in a place where all the drug addicts are there. Every morning you wake up, the conversation is the same. They talk about the same thing. They talk about the drugs. They talk about the new drugs. When there's a newcomer, they would start discussing, hey, what, what's hot outside now? Okay. Every day your topics is surrounded by this. So can you change? It's impossible. Even after your release, you have to go to, to your UT, which is a urine test, and you meet with those who are released. So every day your life is surrounded by all these things. Do you think you can change? I don't think so. When we have a discussion with the prison department, this is what I told them. It's impossible for them to change. That's why we started another support group outside just to help all these people when they are released from DRC or even prison that they can come to us and we can journey together. And because of our background, because of our past, and because of what we did, we actually overcome all those struggles and become what we are today. It's not just me, but we have a lot. More than 70% of us are ex-convicts. So it's easier for us to communicate with them. We have the same lingo. And the best thing is if you try to be funny or if you have to do any fishy things, by the look of your body language or even your eyes, we can tell, hey, you're not normal. So we can step in to provide the help immediately, to tackle the problem immediately. So this is why we started this support group outside we call aftercare. Were you personally never concerned because obviously you have recovered since from drugs, but isn't the temptation still there? And mm. some people would say it's easier to go back into it because you've done it. Good question. Okay, the temptation is always out there. So my advice to people who have our backgrounds or even who don't have our backgrounds who are fighting temptation, we can never win temptation. We have to run away from temptation. This is my advice. And we are here to help you run away from temptation. We give you advices 
how you can avoid temptation. We still feel temptation, although we are drugs-free for many, many years. But to be very honest, we are not immune. What are the safeguards that you have for yourself? What things do you do to make sure you don't end up falling for the temptation? Because you're actively going back to prison where they haven't recovered. Yeah, we are very conscious about support group. You need a support group. And we are creating this support group for others, even for ourselves. In our support groups, we have chat groups. We are like brothers keeper. So my advice to those who are outside, put down your ego. When you face problem, when you face trouble, send a help message, SOS to the support group. This is what I'm still doing. And a lot of us are doing. So whenever we feel struggles, we have problems that I don't think I can overcome this. I will straight away, I will send message to my support group. And those brothers or sisters who are nearby, they will come down. Come, let's go out for coffee. And we have a chat and then I see what's the problem. And then some will come in with suggestions, how they overcome this. Because some people might have faced that problem before and managed to overcome. They will share their experience with you. So it's very important for us to share, to speak out when we face struggles and problems. Isn't speaking up quite hard, especially in Asia? You feel shame. Oh, I don't want everyone to know that I'm so low. How do you overcome that? How do other people face it? How do they overcome it? This is the thing I want to break. It's a mindset. This is their ego mindset. that I have to help them to break through. I say, because we are bondage by that ego that, hey, don't shame yourself in public, especially people like you got so many tattoos and don't shame. This is normally the words that the devil will put into our mind because this fellow wants to push you down. So in order not to let you overcome that struggles, uh, he will tell you, hey, don't shame yourself in front of people. Eventually, we will have that mindset that I can overcome this problem. I can conquer this problem. I, I always share with them that if you can settle that problem, it won't be a problem anymore. We have to look for resources or help or else this problem will snowball and become worse. If you have a, a addition background, it's very fast for you in a relax. Because once you cannot settle that problem, you will automatically go back to drugs. But this is my experience. This whole part about you going back, volunteering prison, this come after. There was this important arc that we kind of missed, which is basically you being in prison and how you got out of what you were doing. How did that happen? I believe there was one point in 2008 where that was the lowest point, right? Tell us about that period, how you got over it. Okay, I think the lowest point was in 2008 and 07. I feel very down. I got a depression or something like that. And I thought of committing suicide. I thought of jumping down from my place. I'm staying in a level 10. I said, hey, why not you jump down? Settle once and for all. So all the people who suffer along with you don't have to suffer anymore because of you. And then this very nice voice came in, a very soft one. And this voice tells me, if you have the courage to jump down, why not use this courage to check yourself into a halfway house and change your life? I, I was afraid to jump down at that point of time, to be very honest. So I went to a halfway house and I started my withdrawal journey. But I checked in with the wrong mindset. I went to a halfway house just because I want to quit my drug addiction. After one year, all those withdrawal, cold turkey, everything, I started everything, follow the program. 
And then after one year, I left the health warehouse. And in less than two months, I go back to drugs again. Because my attitude never changed. My character never changed. My circle of friends never changed. My everyday conversation never changed. It's very easy to trigger because every day our conversation is still surrounded in drugs. So I went back to drugs again very fast and uh, I backslide. Then I go to another halfway house. So repeat the second time, even worse, I took drugs in the halfway house. When I was caught by the director, he quoted me, he confined me in the halfway house. I called my runner to send me drugs. <laughs> so, even worse. <laughs> yeah. It was, then after seven months, I left that place and I said, Carol, I was outside for a week and then I decided to go back to the previous one again. And I called the director, I said, can you help me for one more time? I want to change. And there was a time that I, I prayed to God. I said, God, you help me. I want to change my life. I am not here to quit my drugs anymore. I want to change my life. I surrender my life to you. Unless you ask me to get off from this place or wherever I will stay at. So I stayed in that place for three years. Long time. Yeah. And I eventually become a staff there. And during that three years, my life started to change. I started to read Bible and started to understand Bible. And I quit my smoking habit. That was also the time when my wife divorced. I did question God. I said, God, why should I change my life? And he asked my wife to divorce me. Once out, of course. <laughs> hear an answer but you still kept at it i see i know you have a purpose but i just don't understand so after three years got open doors i left the halfway house i got my own rental flat and then jobs just come approaching me since then i never look for job i never look for job and job just approached me and the offers is one after another is a better and better one so currently i'm working as a chef I'm helping my boss to run a food store. I'm cooking Thai fusion food now. Life just goes on. Hey everyone, just a gentle reminder that steamy episodes like this one are now open to sponsorships. And this is one of the spots that you can get. To be honest, steamy is not going to accept everyone because we want to make sure that your mission aligns with the interests of the steamy community. So yes, dear listeners, I'm putting you first. But if you're interested, please do drop an email at sothismywai at gmail.com and let's start chatting. All right, now let's get back to this episode with Brian Pham. You talked about God. I imagine God wasn't your life when you were young. So at what point did God enter your life? We have a saying translated from Chinese, the end of man is the starting of God. So when you thought that this is the end of my life and you surrender, God will start. Many times we are not bad for that. We don't want to surrender ourselves to God. We still want to be the master of our own lives. So I when did to... you surrender then? What was the incident that happened? It was the third time I went to Huawei House. I just mentioned, I said, God, I surrender my life to you. <laughs> Unless you ask me to go or else I will stay here as long as possible. And was there immediate change after that? It took times. It took times that I slowly get myself adapted in the different lifestyle. I think I practiced social distancing during that time. I started to distance myself away from many people. You distance yourself away from many people, especially those who are still in that cycle. Every day they are talking about the same thing. So you distance yourself away from them. You are actually avoiding negative things into your life. They're still in the cycle. 
you have to do something and start doing things which makes you feel uncomfortable, which is very new to you. You have to start learning new things. So this is where I started. And it's not easy. It's a very long process and we'll get a lot of uh, negative feedbacks during the process. But it's okay now. It's okay. We learn from there. What do you think are the most common misconceptions people have of drug addicts, ex-convicts? Okay. The most common thing you will hear at this time, people you don't waste time and they will not change. But I should say that uh, my message to the world is that we are here to prove them wrong. So whatever they say, I'm here to prove them wrong. That's why I'm here today. And I already proved them wrong. And I'm encouraging others to prove them wrong also. By the end of the day, I change and I will become better. Actually, these are the people who are going around talking about me. But this fellow, uh, what you? Last time, uh, you know what is jalat? This fellow is rotten one uh, and cannot save one. Uh. But now he's doing very well. He's helping others. So I encourage those who are still struggling. Just remind yourself, prove them wrong, that we can change. What is the secret to change? I mean, you can want it, but it's easier said than done. You need a support group. You need a group of like-wise-minded people. We call ourselves brothers, benign or one another. Because we are all from the same background, it's very easy for us to detect when you're doing something funny. We can step in immediately to offer the help. We are all recovering addicts. We are here to help one another. There's nothing special about us. What if the listeners who don't have the same background as you, but also want to help ex-convicts, what's your advice to them? How can they help? You have to be very wise in helping ex-convicts because especially addicts, we are very cunning and we are very smart. We can turn nothing into something in the prison. For example, okay, we got nothing at all, but by using rice and magazines, we can do cross hangers, we can do hangers, and we'll smuggle things, and then we can do those uh, survival kits like sparkle. As long as we use for smoking or those scouts they use, right? They use stone and they make spark and then they create fires. We can do all this and we make cakes by using bread and our, our daily morning tea, our lunch bananas, and we have uh, some chocolate waffles and we can just make a chocolate cake. Celebrate birthday. Cake. Yes, our nothing, we got no oven, anything, but we can still make chocolate cake. So, you see, there are many things we do in the prison. Obviously, they are very smart. So, for those who aren't ex convict, what can we do? If you really have the burden to help ex convicts, addicts, so please join us or group. Get advices from the professionals. You join them and see how they handle cases. I still remember when I first stepped in as a volunteer, I struggled a lot because there are lots of times I helped an individual, but at the end of the day, he went back to prison. It gave me a very big impact. As years goes by, I understand we can only offer them assistance. We can only offer them help, but we can never change their life. They need to make a choice to change. Only God can make that happen. God can change them, but not us. We can only offer help or direct them to some organization. What if they tell you, I've changed? How do you know they're telling the truth? Okay, you prove to me. How? What kind of proof I, do you ask for? Very simple. What are you doing in your daily job? I miss your occupation. What have you delivered? Are you trustworthy? Does your employer trust you? Okay, when you go back to family, does your family trust you? So these are the important points. 
I need proof. You have to show me because this is the foundation of our life. If our foundation is not right, what we think or do will be totally different and it will lead our life to extreme. That means you will attract negative people, negative vibes. So when your foundation is right, you will start to attract the correct people, those positive vibes, positive people. Then you will think that, hey, maybe I can actually contribute back to the society. Actually, we can go back and help. It's not that we always want to help from others. So this is one of the things we are tackling now, especially in Singapore, yeah. ex-convict mindset. When we go to prison, we thought that we are the victim. When I finish my incarceration, oh, the government have helped me to look for a job. You have to talk to employers that they give us a second chance. Oh, employers don't give us a second chance. They don't want us because of our background. See, all this is victim mindset. They never thought that I'm paying for what I've done. It's the consequences I have to face. So we are trying very hard to break this type of mindset. You have to prove to people that you can trust me. I am responsible for my job. For things appointed me to do, I will be accountable for that. My message <laughs> to your prison sentence is your consequences. You just finish what you have done wrong and then you settle your consequences. It doesn't prove that you are good now. You have to prove when you are out of prison. What if someone comes to me, ex-convict, and says, I need help, but please don't tell anyone my problem? I will tell that person. I will try my best. If your problem is the problem I have encountered before and I know how to overcome it, I can help you. Or else, I will have to send it out to my team and look for us for advisors. But I will not tell anything about you. I will ask them for advices. Does anyone have went through this problem before? How you overcome this problem? And then I will share with you. This is what I can do. Or you think uh, I'm too troublesome, then I will direct you to the professionals. One. You can go and talk to them. I mean, what you do is clearly not easy, especially having that kind of discipline. And then also always going out there and helping other people who are struggling as well. And also doing your jobs, driving long hours, also working at a hawker store. It seems endless. What's driving you? Okay, for us, very simple. People like us have to keep ourselves very busy in order not to go back to the things that trigger us. Especially when what we are doing now, we are taking the double portion. What I call double portion is that when we go into prison, we do counseling, we do chapter service, we try to counsel them. So. After that two hours we spend in the prison, when we walk out, actually we are reminding ourselves every day, hey, don't forget what you tell others. So actually when we tell people not to do, actually we are using this opportunity to remind us again and again to tell people, hey, this can be done. Make sure you lead the example. I make sure I'm doing this and I'm still doing this. Do you think that the laws in Singapore are too harsh? I mean, you suffered under it. You have friends who are going through it. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, that's a good, good question. Okay. A lot of people actually debated about Singapore laws, especially about the death penalty and also the cannabis legalizing. To me, very simple. Singapore is a very small country. People don't think we can survive, but we make it until what we are today. It's all because of strict laws. If our laws are not strict enough, you are worried to send your kids to school or let them walk to school. Why? Because they can easily obtain drugs, stores, 
7-Eleven, bus stops, everybody is pushing drugs. Even schools, your friends are pushing drugs there. Then actually, can you imagine that scenario? There are so many foreigners from other countries wanted to move into Singapore and bring their children here to study because it's safe. They understand your children can go party until two, three, four, and the parents are sound asleep and they you know they will come back in one piece. This is the laws. And the best is that laws only applies to those who break them. Very simple. Singapore is a place where it is banned here, banned there, okay, even smoking, okay. They have to go to specific smoking areas. My friend complained to me, okay, this place cannot smoke, that place cannot smoke. I want to smoke, I have to walk all the way out there. If I'm caught, I will be fined two, three hundred dollars. And they were making complaints about all this. And I tell them, why not you quit smoking? It won't bother you anymore. So you see, there are many things that we have to look into different perspective. And for those who say other country legalize marijuana, with all that, like my advice to all these people, please surrender your citizenship. You don't stay here and complain. Why you want to stay here and complain about this place? Because it's safe and you complain about the rules. I wonder, because this is such a unique perspective, have you always felt this way about the law? Or was it when you were sentenced under them and you were suffering and put in jail? Did you think it was unfair? And later you uh, had this bigger thought? When I was still brushing with the law, I thought that, whoa, Singapore is so strict. That's why all this law applies to me. So as years goes by, I started to change. You know, and I started to become a, a volunteer and I started to abide the laws. I finally realized that all these laws suddenly gone. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, vaping in Singapore is illegal. So this law applies to you, not to me. Alvin, thank you (laughs) for your time in sharing your story, your thoughts. I actually collected some questions from listeners of this podcast. Yeah, sure, sure. And I'd love to ask you those questions. So the first came from Christine and she actually was curious about your time in the secret society. She was just Uh, wondering... What are some of the common threats that you notice from the secret society? Like, why did they join? Why did they do drugs? What are the common struggles in life or post-membership? All these things. Okay. So why we join secret society? Sometimes we feel unsecure. We want to find that sense of belonging. We want to find the love of a brotherly. When we join a secret society group, we thought that we can find all this inside there. Because the belief is that, wow, when you got problem and you just call out and then all these brothers will come. When you realize that it is actually not just this thing involved. When you're in this triad, because of the management, as I mentioned before, it's like a corporate, it's like a company. You have to be in good, you are a fighter or you are a salesman or even a negotiator. You have to bring in revenue, the company. So your leader will try to see what kind of contribution you can offer to the company. This is secret society. And I have another question from Gretel. So let me play her question for you. <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Gretel Tobias. I am my consultant in non-profit management and international development. I recently started following this podcast. I am thrilled to be hearing about Alvin's story today. And I have three questions for you, Alvin. The first one is, what did finding God look like? The second is, how was that, that spiritual journey? 
And the third is how has his finding God experience impacted your life after exiting this life of drugs and violence? Hi. Okay. Please pardon me. I will be sort of like preaching now. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How oh, it feels finding God? I'm a believer now. So I read the scripture and I pray to God that you help me to understand scripture, what they are talking about. Because of my education background, I studied for six years during my childhood. There's a lot of grammar obstacle in my life. So when I was reading the scripture, I pray to God that God, you help me. And before I came to know God, I was into many beliefs. I learned many things in the temple, everything, even the tithe. I worship a lot of things. When I surrender my life to Jesus and uh, I, I pray, like I say, God, you help me. I want to know you more. And there was the time when I go into scripture and I believe from Genesis, God get some soil and make into the image of himself and grow air into it and then become a living creature. When Adam sins, that spirit was God. So you see deep inside our human nature, Every one of us is looking for the real God. Just like when we worship, we pray to other God. Wow, some people will tell you, let's go Bangkok. Very famous, everything you ask, you pray, it will be answered. Just one simple question. Why must we go to Bangkok? I believe every, every place have the same thing. Why must we go to Bangkok? It is the only, only one that will answer our prayer. So you see, deep inside our heart, we always are longing for the real one. Anyone tell us that it's real, we will go. So once you found the real God, you will go everyone. So this is my answer to her for the first question. I found the real God, Christ. So I forgo the rest and my life started to change when I surrender myself. The second question was, how was that spiritual journey? Spiritual journey is not easy because we have to face a lot of circumstances, especially for People like us who don't have a very good educational background, when we want to go to further our knowledge about the scripture, there's a lot of restriction. There was a time when I want to go to Bible college. They need minimum qualification in order for you to enroll into a Bible college. But I managed to enroll into that Bible college because of the principle. I was given grace. Principal say, Elvin, you just go to my Bible college and tell them I asked you to come. And I was enrolled. See, so many different things happened. There was a time I started my journey to know more about the scripture. It's not easy and uh, it's never going to be easy because I understand one thing that when you are closer to God, the devil will want to pull you down. If you are far away from God, he don't even bother about you. This is something we have to be very careful. That's why we need a very strong fellowship or support groups. And I have a final question from Aaron Lim. What are you grateful for this year? Oh, I'm always grateful every day I wake up because it's a blessing to be alive. So not just this year, I'm grateful every day. Every day when I wake up, I can see my loved ones and I know that they're healthy and they're doing well. This, this is the most blessing and I'm grateful for them. Elvin, thank you so much yeah. for sharing so much. So I normally like to end all of my interviews with the same questions. The first is this. Do you feel like you have found your why? My why. There's a lot of why, where, when in my life. Not just why, where, when. Okay. It's all, all a link. And I understand today why I am here. Why I went through so much. I thanks God 
for all those years that I went through of my dysfunctional family, my father's things. And okay, just a short mention. In 2016, I married my ex-wife again. So wow, yeah, we're together again. So you see, all this happens in my life before I know God. But when I know God and when I'm into this volunteer thing, I, I understand that God has let me go through all this. Today, when I go back to prison, when I share my testimony, my life, I can bring it back to them. I can relate my life to them. So they listen to me more and they can trust me because I went through all this. So I thank God for all that had happened in my life. Before that, it was a why me. Today, the why still exists. Why not me? What about legacy? Do you think of what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I hope that I can bring a message out that what we are doing today, not just me, even my group, we don't want anything back from you. We just hope that you can pass it on when you are doing well in future. Go and help someone in need. You don't have to come back and give us a present or give us a treat and say thank you. You help someone else in need. This is what our team are so strong. We are so bonded together like a family because we want to pass it on. We want you to bring it forward. What do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? I don't think there is any successful individual in this world. We always have our flaws. We always have our struggles. It's only that many of us, we never speak up. That's why successful to some, they say, oh, he's doing well, he has a big business, he's an empire, he got a big house. End of the day, we are just six feet under and all this does not belong to us anymore. Your wife might just marry your shepherd and all your hard-earned money, your shepherd will thank you. This is legacy. Are you content with what you have? If we are content with what you are living a legacy, that to me, this success. And where can people go to find you, support you? Okay, I have my Instagram, I have my Facebook, Elvin Chow. We have a volunteer group, Loving Hand Fellowship. I'm also doing poor guide which is in Singapore, Chinatown, that we talk about the uh, olden days, the triad, gangster, and drugs activities. I'm working with AOL, Architect of Life, and also I have a support group. And I'll include all the links to that into the website, the show notes, Thank and I release this. Thank you so much. And that was the end of episode 114. The show notes and transcript can be found at sodismawai.com forward slash 114. And don't forget to subscribe to the Steamy Newsletter. We talk about the upcoming guests, other frameworks and tools used by inspiring people to become successful and also a sneak peek into things I'll be doing as I explore live offsite law. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we'll be meeting one of the most powerful women in the world. She's one of Christie's top auctioneers who sold over $1 billion for charities alongside Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, Matt Damon, and even Uma Thurman. And this is testimony to how every woman and man can become powerful. So just stick around and see you next Sunday.